Welcome uh, to week two of our uh, series, The Biblical Recipe for Success, a recipe for success, something that has rocked me in the past year, a uh, year and a half or so, because I'm somebody uh, driven by success and failure, both when those things are in play. And uh, it was that morning in my devotions where uh, this verse uh, came across uh, what I was reading. It was Proverbs 3, 3, and 4. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And I was like, I want this. I need this. I want this to define my life day in and day out as I move forward. I don't want to live for the metrics of success that this world has because the metrics of success that this world has will very literally put me in the grave. I want the metrics of success that God has for me and for us. And so last week we gave a definition uh, that says this. Landon, go ahead and throw it on the screen. Uh, the biblical definition of success. Biblical success is when God's heart and God's ways become my heart in my way. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going to take a, a passage of the Bible to expound upon each one of these different uh, words, if you will. So if we go back to the verse today, we're going to focus in on steadfast love. That is, we're going to be in the book of Hosea uh, to look at if we want to live out and we want to embody steadfast love, what does that look like? What does that not look like? And so before we go into God's word, Let's pray just one more time. God, Lord, when it comes to this conversation on steadfast love, I, I thank you for such a clear example um, in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we just sang three truly beautiful songs to remind us of your love for us. Um, Father, that uh, as Graham was talking about the CKA and, and, and the gospel and and why we, why we live out the gospel, Father, you lived it out, showing steadfast love, and you didn't even really give a gospel presentation. You were the presentation. <laughs> and that thief said yes. <laughs> that thief said, this is the son of God. And you said, here, come with me to paradise. <laughs> Father, today I pray that, uh, that through this whole, even though we're looking at Hosea, Father, I pray that through, the, through this all, we see you, we see Jesus, we see love, we understand love because we understand you, Father. If this conversation is devoid of you, this is for naught. Um, and so, Father, we love you, and we ask that you would be in and through this whole experience. In your name, amen. Uh, growing, up, now I may, growing up, I had uh, a certain relative that when a gift came from her, we just knew we were in store for it. Uh, I, maybe, maybe you've grown up and, and you had one of those aunts, that uncles, that great-grandmother, whatever it might be, where, where you knew when you were opening it up, you were like, A, I don't know if this is going to be intended for me, <laughs> or, or B, like, if she really knows how old I am and what gender I am. Like, I, I don't, like, it could be anything. Uh, it's, it's basically, whatever's on sale at the local wholesale market is what I'm going to get. And so my, my, my great-grandmother, bless her soul, uh, was a a lot like this. We, we, we coined a phrase opening up gifts in my house that no matter what came from great grandma, we had to respond. Thank you. I love it. It's terrific. And that became like an inside joke, a big joke for our family. Uh, and, and, you, and you might ask yourself why, uh, because, well, as a 13-year-old, 
we had outgrown the need for a Popeye and olive oil, or whatever her name was, uh, uh, cartoon movie. <laughs> I was like, when, when my brother opened that up, we're like, yeah, we aren't going to watch that. <laughs> uh, or as a 14-year-old, when I opened up a smoking locomotive, uh, literally a train that went around in circles going choo-choo, and smoke came out. Like, great for a three-year-old, but as a 14-year-old, it was, thank you, I love it. <laughs> It's terrific. But my great-grandmother was steadfast. Here's what I could count on. I could count on a gift every single Christmas and every single birthday. It just wasn't exactly what I wanted. It wasn't exactly what I needed. It wasn't, it didn't really, so there was that, that short little disconnect. Now, this past Christmas, uh, I, I was born in the 80s. I'm a 90s music lover my mom and Ava went in on it and got me Goo Goo Dolls tickets. <laughs> and I'm super excited that this coming August, I'm going to a Goo Goo Dolls concert. Uh, and so there is a gift that's great. They get me gifts every Christmas. They're steadfast in that. And there is a gift that says, hey, I know who you are. My mom was there when I was born. She knows when I was born. And she's like, hey, like, I know you're going to love this. And, and they were right. I absolutely loved it. But my grandmother, great grandmother, steadfast but just that, that mild disconnect. How many times can that be indicative of us in our Christian uh, walk with Jesus where we think we're being steadfast, we think we're giving him what he wants, but whether it's with the best intentions or maybe it's not with good intentions, it's not exactly what he wants from us. We're not giving him our actual best we go through the motions sometimes, hoping to put God in motion, or there, where we think like we can, we can present to God all of our religious efforts, hoping that for the day or for our lives, we're going to get this gold star. And, and perhaps this is magnified most when we've done wrong. Perhaps this is magnified most where, where we have sinned against God and man, where we have, where we have messed up in life. If we, as we're in a time of reflection upon the past year, we can all think of moments where we have screwed up. And, and there's times in which we screw up and we think, okay, now we're going to offer something to God. We're going to be steadfast now moving forward. We're going to give God what he wants, and we're just going to give a little bit more. We're going to read a little bit more. We're going to pray a little bit more. We're going to attend a little bit more. We're going to do this. And, and, and maybe when, when, when we're giving to God what we think he wants and we're being steadfast in that manner, it's really putting on display that we do not know God like we think we might know God. How does he want love from us? How does he want us to respond? And in the way in which we respond, the way in which we love does it show that we know our God and we understand our God? We're going to be in the book of Hosea for a portion today because perhaps this is best seen in the life of the Israelites. <laughs> Here is a group of people <laughs> that went high <laughs> and then went low and then went high and then went low. They were a group of people <laughs> that knew how to screw up and knew how to live in God's grace and his mercy. They knew how to beg for God's mercy because they needed it. They knew how to ignore, ignore a warning and take a warning. And here we are in the book of, of Hosea, where Hosea is a prophet. And, and these are people where, where now, they're, now they're living in the consequences of their sin and the consequences of rebelling against God. And even it's about to get even worse. 
They, they're, they're going to a false god called Baal. They're, going, they're trying to make military alliances saying, hey, if these other people are coming out our way, then I, we need some help. And so instead of going to God, we'll start making ourselves military alliances. And, and when God's saying, no, forget Baal, forget military alliances, I'm enough, come to me. And so here they know that it's about to get heavy. It's about, the hammer is about to come down on them because they've been doing all these things that God's been telling them not to do. And so here is a, a how they are going to respond. And in what we're about to read, commentaries argue about who is speaking, whether, it is, whether it's priests or whether it's Hosea. So we're just going to look at this and say it's, it's a portion of the leadership of Israel speaking on behalf of of the people. Here's what it says in Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It will be on the screen. Uh, you can scan through your Bible uh, or you can Google it and say Hosea chapter 6, ESV, and it will pop right up. Google's magical. Uh, and so uh, it says this uh, Come, let us return to the Lord. Good thing, for he has torn us. They, they acknowledge there's some trouble that we've caused, uh, that he may heal us. He's torn us, but now we're looking for healing. And he has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Uh, after two days, he will revive us. Looking for a little, they want to be revived. On the third day, he will raise us up, that he may live, that we may live before him. Let us, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us uh, as the showers, as the spring rains and that the water, that water the earth. So here is the leadership of the people saying, this is how we're going to respond. They give, they give a, a, time, a time period, which culturally could be like a, a portion that had to do with funerals and death and whatnot. But here is a time period of, of when we're going to give our best to God and we're going to count on him to respond in mercy. They're, they're, they're confessing, confessing sin, but a, a generic, in a generic way. They're confessing that they have done wrong. They're confessing that they have rightfully brought on God's judgment. And the behind the scenes, what we've said is they're going to false gods. They're, they're trying to create these military alliances. And now they're looking to saying, now we need a great reversal. God, we've done, we've done screwed this up. And now we need you to, to reverse our lives and reverse our, our fate. We're looking for a miracle based on our confession that you would revive us, that you would restore us. And if we go to you, that this is only possible in your hands. But here's what's missing. Although it's great that they see God as reliable. Although it's great that they see that God is merciful. A lot of truth here, right? but they never name a specific sin. It's, it's kind of like, like saying, like, I'm sorry that I offended you. Huh? Name it. What did you do? Do you really understand what you did? They never name their specific sin. And it's as if they're also dictating how God will respond. Telling God how in the time, in the period, like what, what, what the, the expectation of if we do A, you will do B. It's them saying that we've done life on our own. And so now our response is going to be to dictate the terms on how we move forward. What's missing is their heart and their acknowledgement of what is really wanted and needed in the moment. As, as the story would go, there, there was a, a husband and wife that worked uh, in, uh, in Chicago. 
And, uh, and the, the husband worked this really long job throughout the day where he interacted with people and, and tourists and whatnot, and the wife worked in the, in the fashion industry. Uh, and so the one night they, they're coming home, and they knew that they had a planned dinner party that night with family and friends and whatnot. Uh, and so uh, the, husband, the husband comes home, uh, and he just starts playing bit, video games, Grand Theft Auto or whatever he's playing. He's playing something on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the Xbox. And, uh, and the wife is just like, can you help me? Can you help me? I've worked a long day, too. And he kind of like begrudgingly helps a little bit, but not much. And so they get into a little bit of a fight. And then they go to the dinner party, and they have a great dinner party. Uh, but that, like any dinner party, there's a huge cleanup afterwards. <laughs> and so at the end of the dinner party, he finds himself back on the couch playing his Xbox <laughs> and, and, and doing all whatever he's doing and being animated. And he's just peopled out. He just needs a break. And she's like, well, can you, can you help me clear the table? Can you help me with the dishes? Like, can, can we do this together? Like, I worked a long day too. And, and he's like ignoring her, ignoring her. And finally, she cannot be ignored. And so he goes to the, to the kitchen and he starts like doing the dishes. And, but he's doing it with attitude. You know, like how like, uh, like there's like, I'm doing the thing, but like I'm doing the thing. Uh, and so he's doing it and, and he's like, what, what, what? I'm doing the dishes. And she just yells out like, no, I want you to want to do the dishes. And he's like, why would I want to do dishes? <laughs> and you know the story that I'm talking about if you've seen the movie Breakup because I couldn't show the scene <laughs> because it would pull us off the air, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so I just described a scene from a movie instead. But you know that age-old scene if, if you have seen that movie and you know what, what the wife is getting at. <laughs> yes, I want you to do the dishes, but I want you to want to do the dishes. <laughs> I want you to love me in that manner. Uh, hey, kids, go clean your room. <laughs> No, okay, fine, you're doing it, it crosses the X and the Y, like you're doing the thing, but I want you to want to do the thing. I want you to appreciate living in the house that I pay for by just simply cleaning your room. If you were to ask the boyfriend, do you love your wife, or do you love, if you ask the husband, do you love your wife? Yes, I'm doing the dishes. If you ask the wife, do you feel loved? She would say no. If you ask God in this moment, are the Israelites loving you? In a technical way, they're showing love, but does he receive it? Does he feel it? That is what's missing in the equation. And so this is how God responds to the leadership of Israel. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like dew that goes away early. It comes and it goes. Therefore, I have hemmed you in by the prophets. I have slain them by their words of my mouth. My judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire, here's what I want. Here's the word, the phrase that we're focused on. I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. His, his response to what they are saying is a lament. He, he's, he's, he's broken over this. In his brokenness, he's, he, he, you can tell he loves Israel. He loves his people. He does not desire to bring, like what father in their right mind desires to bring punishment upon their kids? He does not want this to play out the way it will play out. But they also don't want to respond the way God desires for them to respond. God has warned and he will keep his word. They haven't come to him with the right heart. They're fleeting. They'll love him one moment. They'll say yes to him in this moment. But truly, 
if we were to read on and we were to watch the history lessons to unfold, they go back to Baal. They go back to military alliances. God is absolutely right to say, your love for me is fleeting. You'll do the thing, you're, but it's, it's a flash in the pan. I want, what I want in you is not a flash in the pan. I want it to be a raging forest fire up in you. <laughs> I want all of you. I don't want you to stop inquiring of Baal. I want you to stop making military alliances. I want you to be completely dependent upon me. Here's what I don't know of you. I don't know your loyalty. Steadfast love would say that you are loyal to me. It's not a temporary change that's here today, but then gone tomorrow. I want all of you. I want your heart. I want you to acknowledge my lordship. I don't want you to go through religious motions that will not cut it with God. I want you, a rebellious people, to give up your rebellious ways and give me all of yourself. Their attitude, to use the language that they use, revive, they're going to God almost with this attitude that if I do this, I'll revive God. God seems dead right now, so if I do this, I'll revive him and put him into motion. We sang that song that death was arrested. God don't need reviving. My God's alive and well, and he's doing just fine. If there's anybody on planet Earth that's in need of a little revival, <laughs> it's you, it's me, it's us. <laughs> we always are in need of revival. A, uh, a, a uh, Lutheran uh, bishop uh, was traveling around, and he, and he got to a Lutheran church uh, in California, and something caught his attention. Uh, they, they had this banner uh, hanging up in their, in their sanctuary uh, that, that said, Come Holy Spirit, Hallelujah. Uh, one of those, like if you've ever been to a very traditional church, you can see some of those like churchy banners hanging up. It had, it had one of those. It had one of those nice little banners uh, with a picture of fire and burning because Holy Spirit uh, in, in the book of Acts came upon people in fire. Uh, and, and the nice banner caught his attention, but then what made it noteworthy uh, to then reach the, uh, the internet uh, was that he then caught that right underneath it was a fire extinguisher. Uh, and he went on to use this as an example of, like, isn't this indicative of the church? <laughs> we want God and we want the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Holy Spirit. We come, bring the fire of heaven upon us. <laughs> Burn inside of us. But then we walk around with a fire extinguisher saying, ooh, not here. <laughs> not here. Don't revive me here. Don't revive me here. Uh, uh, Packer, uh, a huge uh, brainy theologian, said that there are four elements of revival that you and I should, should think of when we, when we pray, because many of us have even prayed, God, bring revival on the land. God, we bring revival in our hearts. Bring revival in our church. We'll pray that. We'll want that. Uh, revival, he says, four aspects. A renewed sense of closeness, typically done through prayer. Uh, secondly, a love for gospel like never before. Thirdly, a deep repentance, a sorrowful, I am wrong, and you are right, and I, want, I am sorry. And then lastly, a fast-moving spirit. God, you, God can be patient. He can work over the generations, but when his Holy Spirit is moving, his Holy Spirit is moving. Revival, a renewed sense of closeness, typically through prayer, a love for the gospel like never before, and a deep repentance, a fast-moving spirit. So here we are. 
We're looking to God saying, God, we want steadfast love to be indicative of us as we move forward. That is a way of asking God for revival. Revive us that we may worship you again. Help me to live this out day in and day out. Revival is choosing God and returning to him. Revival, it, revival enables a person to know and experience the one true real God, a living person active in our daily lives. Revival, catch this, is not reform. Revival is not taking somebody who is rebellious and a, and a rebel and then turning them into a legalist that's a robot just going through the, the motions. Revival is when spiritually dead people become spiritually alive. Revival is one, where one person was walking around not glorifying God in anything that they were doing, and now they are a beacon of God's glory, shining glory on the Lord Jesus Christ in everything they do. Revival takes what is dead and brings them to a state of joy, peace, and being alive. I've heard it, 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 it's one of those questions that you can ask in a group of Christians. Like Christians ask crazy questions, right? And they're like, well, what's the first thing you're going to ask Jesus when you get to heaven? Like, have you been in one of those circles? And oftentimes it will be like, God, free will, really? I've heard, at least maybe it's just because I'm a pastor, but I've heard people say that like, God, why did you give humanity free will? And as I was listening, as I was preparing for this, I, I thought about that question. And I wonder if God will just whisper right back to you, so you'd choose me. Because forced love in our society is rightfully jail time. When a more powerful figure forces his love upon you, they go to jail. But when, when, when love is freely given and freely chosen, there's something beautiful about that. And my Jesus offers his love to you freely and gives you the choice to say yes or no to it. And then as we move forward, it's a choice to say yes, day in and day out. One of our values here is this value that we call a daily surrender. It's something that we think every Christian should be embodying. It's something that we choose to say yes to God every single day, but we're looking at our lives in, in, in the scope of what holiness looks like, and we're saying, God, this ain't holy in my life, and I'm going to cut it out. I, I want none of it. It's not, here's what daily surrender is not. Daily surrender is not a temporary ceasefire. I'll cut it out for today. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll stop. Okay, I'll stop. Let it go away. Let it go away. Okay, we're good. We're good for now. No, it's looking, it's waking up and saying, God, this is not like you. My gossip, my, my hate for this person, my, my unforgiveness, the, 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 the thing like, okay, I, what I claim on my taxes is like 80% the truth. Uh, uh, what, what I'm charging this person is like, oh, 80, you know, like what, like it's saying this is wrong and I'm going to stop doing this. It's not a temporary ceasefire. This is saying every single day, I want this out of my life because I want to be more like you. Here's our big thought for this experience as we chew on, as we have chew, uh, chew, chewed on uh, Hosea. It's God delights in love done right. You want to do this right? <laughs> then love the way God wants to be loved. God delights in love done right. There was a, a dinner that saved our marriage. Uh, and I, I, I kind of say that drastically and also not drastically all at the same breath. 
Um, but I asked Ava about it um, this, as, as I was, she knew as you know, as I was sharing this. And uh, I was like, you remember that, remember that dinner that we had where we just kind of like put everything out on the table and was like, are, are we really going to do this? And, uh, and it was this, this time in our, in our marriage, we were in the middle of the church plant, uh, Wellspring and whatnot, life was chaotic, kids were chaotic, and three kids, dogs, and it just kind of like everything was going on. And, and I was like, do you remember what we were fighting about? And, and, and we were, we were, I think we were in my kitchen this week, and we were both like, no, I don't remember what we were fighting about. Uh, but it was a dinner where we were just like, I don't know if we want to do this anymore. And so we, we knew that we didn't want that. We knew that we didn't want that outcome. We, didn't, we knew that those were feelings and not truth. And so we got a babysitter, and uh, we... Uh, went on a walk, literally walked down the road. MJ's is right by my house. And uh, we walked to MJ's, and uh, we walked on the way down. We talked at dinner. Um, we talked on the way down and whatnot. And, and the reason we don't really remember what we were fighting about, because it was, like any married couple, it was a bunch of little things that were adding up. And what was adding up was, have you guys ever heard of, like, uh, I think it's Gary Chapman in the Five Love Languages? And... Uh, by the, by the middle of dinner, we just kind of came to the realization that, like, we're not loving each other well, and everything's magnified. <laughs> uh, Ava's number one love language gift uh, is physical touch. <laughs> you know what my lowest is? <laughs> physical touch. <laughs> I love the six-foot rule. If you're offended that I've never given you a hug, please don't be offended. <laughs> Homeboy don't like hugs. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, and so it was like, well, Ava craves that. And words of affirmation mean a lot to me. And, and when Ava's mad and, and, and she speaks in, in a way where, like, I, okay, well, that hurts me. And, like, it, it tears me down. And, and it was like, man, I'm not giving you what you want. And, I'm not, and the way in which I'm loving you is, is, is actually kind of hurting you. And, and it was like, man, like, these little things are really, really, really draining our tanks. And so it really, we have not been perfect. That, that conversation still has life where we will have to go back to it and say, like, Jason, I need a little bit more. Ava, I need a little bit more, a little bit less, or whatever it might be. But that dinner was truly, we don't remember what we were fighting about. But now we know how to love each other. Perhaps you come into here today and it's time to respond to God and you don't know how. Maybe you come in here and you're at odds with God. What would it be like to have a meal with God and just simply say, what does love look like in this relationship? <laughs> how could I love you? Not saying to God, this is how I will love you, but God, how should I love you? How do you want to receive love? To have a meal with God and say, God, I've screwed up. How do you want us to move forward? And so here uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of 1 John, verse jo 1 John 3:16, John writes this, "By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How do we know love? We know love because we have a moment in time to look at, the pinnacle of all creation. My Jesus, hanging on a cross, yelling, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
that pinnacle in time where moments before he prayed to God, God, if I must drink this cup, your will be done. I will do this. Because he loves Ava, because he loves me, because he loves Mike, because he loves Ken, because he loves each one of you in this room, he says, in that pinnacle of time, I will die for the sins of humanity. And then I'm going to raise, I'm going to come out of that grave because death will not have a hold on anybody that follows me. And that's how we know what steadfast love is. And so in that spirit, my, my challenge to you is, is I, uh, we, got a, uh, we got 25 per service. We got these, these Gospels of John. Uh, and so I'm challenging you this week to prayerfully work through. It's three chapters a day. Uh, three, uh, there's 21 books in the, in chapters in the, in the book of First John. Or, I'm sorry, John, the Gospel of John. And John is like the Casanova of the Bible. Uh, and so I'm just going to challenge you to work through the Gospel of John this week. Take one of these, highlight, do whatever, do whatever you want, but highlight and look through, what, is, what does this show me about Jesus' love for me? Look through this and at the end of the week say, okay, God, I have a grasp of how you love me. How should I love you in return? Because I don't think those answers are going to look too different. <laughs> And so in that spirit, let's, uh, you guys can take out your communion cups before we go into one more song. Um, we just want to take a time to, in essence, have a meal with God. And to remember his sacrifice and to remember um, his love for us. Because that night where he prayed what he prayed and committed to say, God, if there's not another way for this cup, if it can't pass from me, Lord, if I have to drink this cup, I will drink this cup. When he prayed that prayer, it was just moments before where he was passing a cup to his disciples and then asking them to do this as, as often as they were to get together. So before we go into a spirit of communion, uh, let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you for this time to remember you, to remember your sacrifice, to remember steadfast love, To remember that love begins and ends with you. You are the creator of love. <laughs> and in our brokenness, we destroy the true definition of love. And so, Father, I pray this, this moment, this, this ordinance, this, this command from you would center us around your love. In your name, amen. You guys can take out that wafer on the top. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he passed it around to his disciples, his best friends, um, including the one that I had already agreed to betray him. And he said, as often as you get together, I want you to remember that my body has been broken for you. And to take this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, 
passing around a cup that they thought was for Passover, and it was, but it now had a new meaning. (laughs) They passed around a cup. He told them that this cup represents a new relationship, and this new relationship is is formed not by the blood of a lamb given over and over and over again, but by the blood of the one true sacrificial lamb, the Son of God. So as often as you get together, remember that my blood was spilt for you. Let's take this cup together. Lord Jesus, as we sing this closing song, Father, I do pray that you would revive us again. But Father, I pray revival on your terms. Father, I, we, I, for this church, for myself, Father, in this moment, want to give you a blank sheet of paper, a pen, and say the terms of revival are yours to determine. It is yours. Live your life through me, Father. Help me to live my life as if you were living my life. To know the Spirit of God living through me. In your powerful name, Jesus, amen.